Let's imagine that there was a cliff. And let's say that all of you guys, all your friends, all your family members were on one side of a cliff. And there's a giant gulf in between this cliff and another cliff. Now the gulf isn't that big. Uh, I don't know how many of you have seen tightrope walkers walk across two different cliffs. This gap is only 28 feet wide. Okay, so you have one cliff here, another cliff here, gap in between 28 feet wide. But all of you are on one side of the cliff, and you have to cross over to the other side of the cliff. Now here's the problem. No human in the world can jump 28 feet. Although you may try, maybe there's some of you that have some gusto and you're like, I'm going to show off. I'm going to jump to my death. And you plunge and like, I'm going to totally impress this girl. And you jump and you die. That's it. Now, I know that's very morbid. But this is an illustration of trying to obtain salvation. Because many people are trying to leap to the other side of the cliff as if they can make it. Now, some might do better than others. Some people might just not be able to jump and plunge as soon as they take a step off the cliff. Some people might be really athletic and jump maybe 20 feet. I don't know what the world record is, but that sounds like it's about right. They jump 20 feet and still fall short of the leap they need to make. In the same way, that's what we as Christians, or this is what we as people try to do when we obtain, try to obtain salvation with our works. No matter how good you are, you will always fall short of the standard that God has set, which is perfection. None of us are able to leap that far. No matter how many works that you think you have or how good you are or you look at some other people and you're like, well, I'm definitely better than that person, it does not matter because you can't cross that gulf on your own. You need, in other words, another way. And so that's what Jesus Christ has provided us, a different way to cross that bridge, to bridge that gulf so that we can cross to the other side. That is the good news of Jesus Christ, that he came into our world because we could not, on our own efforts, obtain salvation. Our sin separates us from God. We're not perfect. We're not able to make that full leap. We all make mistakes no matter how good you think you are. You still mess up. You still lie. You still sin. Everyone makes mistakes, and they know because they all have guilt, right? We all have things that we feel guilty about. Now, since we all have guilt, we have to do something about that guilt, and a lot of people try to mask that guilt, especially in our age, our generation. We all try to bury the guilt, whether it's through music, watching television, being on social media, we try as much as possible to hide the guilt and hide the shame, but only one thing can remove the guilt, and that is Jesus Christ who has forgiven us of our sins. If you feel guilty because you've done something wrong to someone, you won't feel better until you apologize and they forgive you. In the same way, since our guilt is against God and our sin is against God, we have offended him, it's only God who can forgive us that will cleanse away all of our sin. So Jesus Christ has bridged that gap, paved that way, so when we place our trust in him, we can have eternal life and don't have to, have to suffer punishment. Any just judge has to render justice. 
We wouldn't call a good judge uh, a good judge if you let every criminal go free. Just like, you know what, you murdered a couple people, but you know what, I'm a nice judge, so I'm going to let you go free. No, your sin demands justice. And to ignore that is to say that my sin really isn't that bad. But in truth, we all know that we have all done some bad things, and those some bad things need to be dealt with. So Jesus Christ came in our world, forgave us of our sins, so, or he died for our sins, so that if you place your trust in him, you won't die but have eternal life. That is the gospel. That is the good news of Jesus Christ, that you don't have to jump. You can walk across the bridge of the cross. You can trust in Jesus for salvation. Now here's the question. If that news is that good, and we can tell people, hey, you don't have to jump. Wait, stop. If we can tell people that, that there's another way, and it's already been provided by Jesus Christ. He's, he's done that leap for us. And he's bridged the gap. Then why don't we tell people about it? Oftentimes, it's because we're afraid, we're scared. Or maybe because we haven't really grasped the reality of what Jesus has done for us. We haven't really realized that this, this was serious business. That someone died in our place. So that we could have eternal life. And because we haven't really grasped that, maybe that's what's keeping us from sharing that good news. Let me ask you this. Who is the one person in your life that you think would never accept Jesus? Who is the one person who you think, oh, that person would absolutely not ever become a Christian? They hate God. Every, you know, even mention Jesus, they just make fun of you. Whoever that person is in your mind, I think oftentimes when we think of those people, that's what keeps us from sharing our faith, right? Because we're afraid of being made fun of or afraid of being ridiculed or whatever. But God often chooses people like that, the least likely people to come to him, to actually bear the message of Jesus, to bear the gospel on their backs, on their shoulders, and his good message. And that's exactly what we see in Acts chapter 9. This guy named Saul of Tarsus was chosen as a vessel to preach the good news. He's, in fact, this guy Saul had his name changed to Paul, as you guys know, and wrote the majority of the New Testament. But as we look at his life, he was not the, the MVP in Christianity. He was not the person that you would look at and be like, oh, that guy, he's totally going to be a famous pastor. He's totally going to be a person that everyone's going to look up to. Let's read what it, what it says in Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciple of the Lord, disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly... A light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Which is probably foreign language to most of you. Well, here's this guy, Saul, who is on a mission. Because he thinks he's sent by God to imprison Christians. To kill them. To get rid of them. He thinks Christians are 
completely against God and completely, you know, wrong-headed, following this false God, Jesus, you know, in his mind, that he's so zealous about this and he's so religious that he's going to go out and capture these Christians. And on that way, on that road, Jesus appears to him. You know, the Jewish people believe that you couldn't audibly hear from God anymore. That, that didn't happen. It stopped with the prophets 400 years prior. But Saul audibly heard something, saw light, and the people around him too. And this light so impacted Saul, he fell off his donkey or horse or whatever it was he was riding. Maybe a dragon. Probably a dragon since he was killing people. He was breathing threats and murder and fire and all that stuff. Saul was riding his dragon. He was knocked off. He was impacted by this light. And Jesus says to him, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Because to persecute Christians was, in fact, to persecute Christ. Jesus is the head of the church, and we are the body. And so because of that, Saul was totally thrown back. And Jesus says to him, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. Goads were things that you, uh, if you had oxen, none of you have oxen, so I should probably explain this to you. It's a sharp stick, and you kind of, this is terrible. This is what they did, though. You have a stick, and to motivate the oxen to move forward, you would, like, poke it with a sharp stick in the back hind legs. And then if an ox was stubborn, it'd kick against the goads. But then if you kick it, you're going to get, like, poked even more. I should get, like, a goad and then, like, poke you. No, that's bad. That's probably abuse, and I probably should not do that. But that's what they would do for oxen. And so Jesus says, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. In other words... Jesus is saying, I've been trying to reach out to you. I've been trying to show you that you're doing something very wrong and you are so stubborn that I have to show up in your life, shine this bright light so that you, you fall off your dragon or donkey or whatever. You fall on your, your butt and you realize that you're doing the wrong thing. Jesus had to completely intervene in his life because Saul was so stubborn. But what we see here is really interesting because Saul, it says in verse 6, so he trembling in astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Wow, that's an instant conversion if I ever saw one. Completely just changed my mind. Like, he was persecuting Christians and he's like, Lord, what do you want me to do? I'm ready to surrender my entire life to you. Then the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias! And he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man how much he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. So, this guy, Ananias, has this vision. And the Lord appears to him in this vision and tells him, Hey, I, I just met this guy named Saul, and I, I'm sending him to you, and you're going to have to heal him because he's blind. Isn't that weird? 
Like, couldn't Jesus heal him? Why did he need a person to heal him? Why did he call a Christian to heal him? What do you think? Well, I think that's because God wants people, his people, his church, to be involved in the blessings and in, in seeing God's power. Of course Jesus could just heal him of himself, but he wanted Saul to have faith in God, to travel three days without sight, to go to this Christian who he formerly would have persecuted, and then Ananias, for him to exercise faith, when he thought this guy was, you know, a terrible person, was going to kill him, but he had to place his faith in God that Saul would come, and then he could heal him, and, and everything would be okay. This is kind of like if today someone appeared to you in a vision and was like, hey, listen, I got good news. We have captured the leader of ISIS. And now he's a Christian. I invited him over your house. So I want you to see him and I want you to heal him because he's blind right now. Now, that might be a little distant for you. So maybe you'd be like, sure, why not? But most people that aren't teenagers and aren't as risky as you would probably say, you're out of your mind. Well, you can't say that to God, I guess, because he would probably kill you or something. I don't know what he'd do. Maybe he wouldn't. He'd just pat you on the head. But that sounds ridiculous because these guys, we've seen it on TV, right? They're beheading people. They're persecuting Christians all over the world. Why in the world would you invite someone over your house and heal him? And you're just going to believe that, yeah, he's a Christian now? So Ananias is like, Lord, I, I, know, I know what you're thinking, but this guy is evil. This guy is really, really bad. How many of us feel that same way about our friends who do not kill Christians who do not even persecute Christians in a real physical way. They just make fun of them every now and then. Like, well, well, hold on. That guy would never come to know you. I had dinner with uh, one of the elders in the church with Joe the other day. And he was sharing with me how there's a guy who's a, uh, he owned a franchise, a very popular franchise. That, that's a restaurant franchise. And this guy was huge, this muscly dude. And he would go there and he would eat dinner there every single day at this one restaurant when it was, before it was a, a massive chain with locations all over America. It was just, he'd go to this one place, he'd eat his dinner and read his Bible. And he was always made fun of by the manager. Always. And not the manager, the owner. He would always make fun of him. He's, oh, you, you know, you Bible thumper, whatever. Just call him names. And then he stopped going. And one day he sees the guy in church. And he's like, what are you doing here? Like, that's probably not what you want to say to a person who comes to your church. But he's like, you wouldn't believe what happened to me. I met Jesus. I was at a, a point where I was suicidal. I was lost, so depressed, and I found God. And now he comes to this church. It's great. But how many of us dismiss those kinds of things because we say there's no way that person would ever be saved? But here's what I want to say to you. Because as we know, later on in this chapter, just summarize, I'm not going to read the rest. We know that Saul went on to immediately preach the gospel. It's awesome because right after this, he starts preaching the gospel, and then he's taught by Jesus himself for three whole years. Three whole years, just him and Jesus in the wilderness to prepare himself for ministry. And I heard it said by a friend of mine that this was similar to how Jesus brought his disciples through three years of ministry before he sent them out into the world. And so many of us don't see the opportunities around us because we feel like it could never happen through me. Maybe if I sent, you know, maybe if God sent Alan or God sent Pastor Lloyd or, or Pastor Andy or someone to this person, maybe they get saved. 
I get that all, all the time, actually. People are just like, hey, could you, like, talk to my friend and, like, tell them that God is real so that they become a Christian? It doesn't happen that way. Maybe God wants to use you. But so many of us dismiss it just because we think it could never happen. Well, I got news for you. It can happen, and it can happen through you. You just need to allow Jesus to be the Lord of your life. And when you let God be the Lord of your life, you would be amazed at what he can do. So let, here's two lessons that we can learn from Acts chapter 9. And that is, first of all, you might be resisting. You might be here and resisting, right? You may be here and just because you're forced to, because your parents told you to, you think that'd be a good idea or your friends make you or whatever. But maybe God is choosing you sovereignly. Maybe God has called you and you're really stubborn right now, but maybe there might come a day that you come back to youth group and be like, Man, I don't know why I was so stubborn, but the Lord opened my heart. He, he grabbed the hold of my heart, and I never turned back. Now, this wasn't against Paul's will. It's not like Paul was a robot, and God reprogrammed him, and now he's a Christian. In fact, what we see is sometimes God shines light, and people run and hide. But Paul was a person who was willing to come to God, so God revealed this light to him. So that's a side point. Secondly, true boldness is not something that you just obtain and works to get. But true boldness is out of the abundance of what God is doing inside of you. You are bold about the things that you're passionate about. Right? So if your favorite team is the Seahawks, you're going to be very bold about that, and you don't care who heckles you or laughs at you or whatever. I, I know nothing about football. I'm just saying a random team. You're going to be bold about that because that's where your passion lies. In the same way, if you are passionate about Jesus, you will naturally become bold. That's what we see in Acts chapter 4, as we talked about a year and a half ago. In Acts chapter 4, verse 13, it, it says that when the people saw and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that Peter and John had been with Jesus. So these people are uneducated, untrained men, were saying all these crazy stuff. They were so bold. They realized they had been with Jesus. In the same way, this word boldness means freedom in speaking, unreservedness in speech in the Greek. In other words, it's just, you're just blabbing it out. You can't hold it back. And that's the kind of boldness that God calls us to. It's not conjuring words up. It's not being able to hold words back. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9.16, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe to me, woe is me, if I do not preach the gospel. Paul could not help but preach the gospel. Because he was just so passionate. He wanted to see people saved. So, did you know it's possible to see miracles in your life? It's possible to be used of God, to believe that Jesus is God, and to still be fighting against him. Jesus even said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Some of you here might really, really want to prophesy in the name of Jesus, to cast out demons. Wouldn't that be cool if... This demon-possessed person who just busted that door. That'd be really scary, actually. <laughs> like, they busted the door right now, and you see me hiding in the corner. I'm like, all right, don't cast them out, guys. 
We just learned this. <laughs> I'm not afraid. Did I ever tell you that up until three years ago, I would always turn off my phone in case someone demon-possessed tried to call me <laughs> in the middle of the night? Yeah, because, like, my youth pastor said that, like, a demon-possessed person called him in the middle of the night once, and he had to, like, cast it out on the phone. So I was like, <gasps> so I would turn off my phone. And <laughs> it's serious. And listen, I've been, I haven't been afraid for up until I was 23 years of age, but I just forgot about it. It was just a habit that I said, and three years ago, I was like, all right, this is ridiculous. I'm going to turn on my phone. That night, I didn't sleep, but I've worked it out, so now I can sleep. But many of us think that would be so cool if I could cast out demons, if I could prophesy in the name of Jesus. But Jesus says, why don't you just do the things that I say? I have called you on a mission. Every one of you here, everyone look up here. You are called on a mission. It's the great commission. To go, out, to go out into all the world and preach the gospel, to disciple every person that you come across. You have a sphere of influence. Every person that you meet, you have an opportunity to bless them with who God is. So those are the couple things that I want you to know from Acts chapter 9. So where are we going for 2015? And how does this relate with anything? Well, as you look up on the screen, it says vision for 2015 and beyond. This is exactly what I want you to get. And I think Acts chapter 9 is a good springboard for what we're going to talk about in terms of vision. So far, I think we might have been confused as to the purpose of our youth group and the purpose of impact in general. Because most of us hear all the cool things that we could do for Jesus, and we try, but we find ourselves back into that place where we started, where we see the giant gulf, we see the 28-foot cliff, and we still find it hard to jump across that cliff. We're still trying to do stuff, and we're trying to impact the world for Jesus. And if I haven't really made an impact, then I must have failed as a Christian. That is not true. And unless you do something that's on a global scale, then you might not be worth much in the kingdom of God, which is not true. Like I just said, Jesus says there's a lot of people that are going to do things in my name, and I'm going to say, I have no idea who, who you are. Instead of trying to go out and impact the world for Jesus, what we're going to be doing from now on is letting Jesus impact you and then impact the world through you. That is the first and foremost thing that we, we got to keep on the uh, front of our minds. Is we're letting Jesus first kick you off your dragon, kick you off your donkey, your horse. Let Jesus impact you. And then you'll naturally want to let him do stuff through you. You'll be obedient. It's not about like looking at the Bible as a list of things to do. And like I got to evangelize. I got to pray more. I got to do all these things. Be, by falling in love with Jesus Christ, he will work through you. And you just let him, let him loose. Like, he has changed my life, and now I'm just going to go out and do what he tells me to do, step by step. So let Jesus impact you and impact the world through you. Here's what we're going to talk about. Give you the mission statement, some objectives to carry out that mission statement. Then we'll talk about core values to meet those objectives. And then actions that you can take for core values. That's outline. You probably don't need to know that because that'll probably just confuse you. Here's our mission statement. Let Jesus impact you and impact the world through you. All right. Objectives. This is how we carry out that mission. Because I could just stop right there and say, all right, guys, let Jesus impact you and impact the world. 
We want to change the world. Okay, go out and do it. Amen. And then you leave here and you're like, all right, how do I do that? Well, this is how you do it. First, you need to grow the deepest that you can. This is my hope. This is my prayer for you as a teenager in youth group right now. That you would grow the deepest you can and reach the farthest that you can. Not the farthest that anyone can. And not the deepest that anyone can. But what has God called you to do? And just fall in love with Jesus. Just love him. Do what you can to grow deeper. Not taller, but deeper. A lot of people think, I need to grow taller. I have to show off. I need to be a person that's visible in the church. I need to be up on stage. And if, I, if I'm not playing worship on stage, then I'm not really being used of God. That is false. That is the same logic that caused the Tower of Babel to be struck down. Because people said, if only I was visible, if only I could reach the heavens, then I'll be someone important. However, what Jesus is looking for is those that are humble, those that are lowly, in their own minds. That esteem others better than themselves. So growing the deepest that you can. You're getting in the word. And you don't care if no one notices you. You're serving. You don't care if anyone sees. Because God sees. And that's all you care about. Grow the deepest that you can. And then reach the farthest that you can. And because you're growing deeper in the Lord. You're just naturally going to want to reach farther. You're going to want to reach as many people as possible. In your sphere of influence. Whatever people you see, now when you go to Starbucks, it's no longer about, like, what you can get out of people. It's, wow, there's people in my sphere of influence. I want to be a blessing to someone today. I want to show Jesus to someone today. So, the vertical relationship with God is between you and God. Let Jesus impact you. Grow the deepest. And horizontally, which means affecting people, let Jesus impact the world through you, reaching the farthest that you possibly can. You guys with me? All right, good. We're going to go slow. So it looks like a cross. Look, that's why it's probably Holy Spirit inspired. Grow the deepest that you can. Reach the farthest that you can. These are your objectives. So carry out the mission statement. Let Jesus impact you and impact the world through you. Great. So here are our core values based on those objectives. To grow the deepest that you can and reach the farthest that you can. Don't worry if you can't get it all today because I'm going to repeat this till you are sick of it. So that when you leave here, you will know what the purpose of Coney Youth Group was. So we have five core values that carry out our objectives to grow the deepest that we can and to reach the farthest that we can. First of all, we want you to grow in grace and knowing Jesus. Not about doing all that you can. Not about trying to put out much effort but simply growing in grace. And that's what it says in the Bible in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. Grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It says it right there in the Bible, so I got it from the Bible. Why is, it, why is it grow in grace? Because so many of us think it's still about works. And the book of Galatians is all about, listen, it's not about what you do for God. It's what God has done for you. And the more you grow in that, the more you are free to just live a life in joy and a life that's devoted to God. Because you know it's not based on what you're doing. It's not based on your performance. So even if you fail, you can go and you can evangelize. And if no one gets saved, you don't really care. You can go and you can try ministry and it, it can fail. And you don't really care. Because you know it's not your salvation. It's not based on what you do for God. It's what God has done for you. And then grow in knowing Jesus. The reason that you come here on a Friday night 
primarily should be to grow in grace and knowing Jesus. And that's what we're going to focus on. Now, some of you might want more things than others. You might just want, like, more hangout time and, like, 10 minutes of Bible study. I'm sorry. We so highly value the Word of God, and we believe that this book can change lives, that we're going to teach it. Even if it means 45 minutes of sitting in uncomfortable chairs and talking about the same things over and over. This is why, from now on, I'm going to aim to teach you the gospel every week and be uh, repetitive in some of the things that I say on purpose. Because even Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, My brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. And unfortunately, a lot of us are like, oh, I've heard this message before. Alan used that illustration before, whatever. You know what? When you repeat things, they actually stick in your brain. So let me ask you this. And this is the true test. What are the four components of the gospel message? Raise your hand. Does anyone know what are the four components of the gospel message? If you were sharing the gospel with someone, what are the four components? What would you say? Alex, let's hear it. Well, yeah, Jesus is part of the gospel. Mm, not exactly. All right, see, so that's exactly my point. I can emphasize as much as possible, go out and evangelize, go out there and preach the gospel. But if you don't even know how to present the gospel, then how are you going to ever preach the gospel to people? How are you ever going to share the gospel with people? So we're going to be repetitive on purpose. We're going to talk about how the gospel message is God, man, Christ, response. What God did in creation Man and how he sinned and messed up everything. Then Christ, he's the solution. He came into the world and died for our sins. And then you have to respond. You have a choice whether to accept him or reject him. That is the main components of the gospel. We'll repeat that almost every single time at impact. So that purpose is twofold. Number one, so that you learn it and you can share it wherever you go. And number two, so that you can count on bringing a friend who isn't saved and know that every single time they come to youth group, they're going to hear the gospel. And it's not just going to be like deep stuff for you deep Christians, but it's going to be some milk that you can grasp as well and digest. These, you know, babies drink milk. It's good. It's good. Don't give them meat. They'll choke. So repeating the gospel, in-depth Bible studies. The messages that I study for to teach you guys, I study just as hard, if not harder, than when I teach main stage for CCOB. That's because you guys, I get it. You've been sitting in Bible study since you were like born. Most of you. Some of you maybe like you, your parents just got saved. But the majority of you, well, how many of you have grown up Christian? Okay, good. Put your hands down. That's almost everybody. So almost every, every one of you, even if you're not, you haven't grown up Christian since age four, you're still technically growing up Christian. So you've heard these things over and over and over. You know the story about Samuel, Moses, whatever. And now you need to know what, how it relates to you. So I'm going to be teaching Bible studies that go down deep. And sometimes they might be hard to grasp. But that's okay because that's how you're going to grow. you got to try a little bit harder. Take good notes. 
Most of all, we want this to be about experiencing Jesus. For each and every one of you to have an undeniable experience. So if a person comes up to you and asks you, why do you believe what you believe? You can speak not just based on intellect, but you can speak based on experience. And say, I know Jesus. So that Jesus doesn't say, I, depart from me, I never knew you. Even though you say you did stuff for me, you went out and evangelized it for me. You cast out demons in my name and you sat on a dragon, I had to kick you off and whatever. But you can say, I've actually spent time with Jesus. I, I remember like going up to the mountains to pray. I've done that before by myself in the middle of nowhere and praying and reading my Bible, doing my devotions with nobody else around and having an experience with Jesus. I want each and every one of you to have an undeniable experience to know God personally and not just in the intellect. So our goal here is to create an environment where you can actually know Jesus, experience Jesus, and not just by thought and not just by intellect. So those are all the things that we're going to do so that you can grow in grace and knowing Jesus. We also want you to go further than 40. You probably have no idea what this means. So I'm going to ask you to turn to Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32. In verse 1, it says, Now when the people saw that Moses delayed from coming down the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come make us gods that shall go before us. For as for Mo this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand, and he fashioned it with an engraving tool, and he made a molded calf. Then they said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. You all know this passage for the most part. Where... The people of Israel were in the wilderness and Moses was called up to go receive the Ten Commandments. And as he went up there, he was up there for 40 days. And then the people of Israel said, you know what? We don't really know what happened to Moses. So why don't we make a golden calf? And then Aaron made the golden calf and said, this is your God that brought you out of the land of Egypt. How is it possible that these people who have seen God do so many great and mighty miracles, who have seen God work in their lives with the ten plagues, parting the Red Sea, all these crazy things, how is it possible that they would be, be so stupid to think that God looks like a cow? And they think, you know what? It would be great if we took all the earrings that you guys have and we put it in a pool and we worshipped it. Wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah, that sounds like a great idea. What happened here? Well, the big problem is they didn't form a relationship with God. They formed a relationship with Moses, who was the leader. Here's the problem that I see so often in youth group. People go to youth group for four years. They go off to college and disappear. And they never come back. They go off to college and they hear from their college professor. Joe just had it happen today. College professor said some of the dumbest things I've ever heard in my life. Saying like, oh, well, Jesus' name wasn't Jesus because that's an English word. Did you know that? 
Like, literally, this is what's coming out of this dumb guy's mouth. But what happens is people are like, wow, yeah, you know what? I never thought of that before. Wow, I'm going to go party and do drugs. We laugh, but it happens. I'm like, come on. And the people that you would think are the strongest people are some of the first people to fall. Why is that? It's because of one reason. It's because they don't form a relationship with God. They form a relationship with the church. Just like the people of Israel in 2 Samuel, or 1 Samuel chapter 8, I believe, when Israel asks Samuel to give them a king. Why is that? Like, well, Samuel, we really, you know, you've been doing a great job. You know, talking to God on our behalf and all that stuff. We want a king because we want to look like the, the armies around us. We want to look like the nations around us. And Samuel's like, that doesn't even make any sense. God is your king. He's like, yeah, but we want like someone we can see, you know, like a, a real king. No offense. And Samuel's like, if you have a real king, he's going to put you in forced labor. He's going to take advantage of your daughters and put them to work and all this crazy stuff. You really want it? Yeah, yeah, we want a king. We want someone to represent us in battle. So we go out and we fight. And we're like, we point and we're like, there's a king. He has a crown, see? But the problem was that they didn't form a relationship with God. They formed a relationship with Samuel. In the same way, I want each and every one of you to form a relationship with God, not to form a relationship with your youth leaders, so that you depend on them for spiritual sustenance. So that when you come to youth group, the only time that you read your Bible once a week is on a Friday night or on a Sunday morning. So that, you know, the only time that you think about the things of God is when you're at youth group. It needs to be a daily habit. And so part of the, the, the strategy in order to get you further than the 40 days that it took for the people of Israel to depart from the Lord, in order to get you further than the 40 days of you leaving high school and going off to college, we're going to teach you apologetics. That's where we're going to do it once a month. Q&A cafe, all those things. So you can ask a question so that even if you don't know how to answer a question that's that dumb when you go to your college class, you'll at least think, you know what? I may not have the answer, but I know where to go to find the answers. So that when you depart from the Lord, if you depart from the Lord, God forbid, it will not be because of your intellect. You believe that atheism is true or Buddhism is true. It will be because you chose not to follow Jesus. But there's so many people that seriously though, they have left the church. I see it all the time. It's the majority of people. It's not like five people depart from church. It's the majority of people every single year they go off, they start smoking pot, they start drinking, they start partying with their friends, they start compromising, all because they didn't maintain a relationship with Jesus past the, the relationship with youth group, which is so sad. And, and listen, if I could bring some of those people, and maybe I will, if I could bring some of those people in to talk to you about that too, I think that might wake you up because there are so many people that just depart from the faith just because they're fooled by what the world uh, says or lies to you. So go further than 40, the 40 days uh, away from the leader or the youth group. Thirdly, community begins with C. So you got grow, go, and co. Community begins with C. If you're like, this is so cheesy, I'm not five years old. Yes, you are five years old. No, they're cheesy on purpose. Cheese stinks and you remember the scent. 
So there you go. Community begins with C. What does that even mean? Well, C in terms of seeing. In order to know who your brothers and sisters are, you need to know what family you're in. You need to know who your heavenly father is. And if you know that God is your father, then every single person in God's family is your brother and sister. You don't get to choose. Some people come to youth group thinking, oh, well, I'm going to talk to my friends and not those people. As if you can choose who your brothers and sisters are. No, you can't. And if you have a dispute with people, you got to make up with them. You got to talk to them. You got to resolve those issues. You can't choose your family your physical family, right? You can't choose who your brothers and sisters are. In the same way, you can't choose the family of God. And God has placed some of those people, some of the people that bug you in youth group as, as the same youth group as you so that you will learn how to deal with those relationships now so you can work with uh, harder situations in the future. When people actually backstab you, when people actually, and I'm not trying to demean anything that you guys have gone through, but you need to work out those relationships. See God first as your father, and you'll be able to see everyone else as your brothers and sisters. That means you come to church not to meet with people, but to meet with God first. That means you come to youth group not to meet with your friends, but to meet with God first. Now listen, it's great to have friends, but you need to have God first. Otherwise, you're just going to be distracting for the whole reason that we're here. That also means that you see yourself not as a child, but you see yourself as a full-functioning member of society. You're an adult. That's why 1 Timothy, you know, you hear this quote all the time. 1 Timothy 4.12, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. More than anything, I want to see you guys flourish, not just in youth group, but in the church at large. I want people on Sunday to be like, who are those peeps? They are in the front row and they are raising their hands like it's Hail Mary and they want to know the Lord. <laughs> There's nothing that blesses me more than when old people, like people like 26, <laughs> come up to me and they're like so blessed to see you guys on fire. And you may not think anything of it just because you see yourself every day. It's like when you start working out, you don't see like improvements after the first couple of weeks. And then one day you look in the mirror like, I look good. <laughs> it just happens. In the same way, you may not feel like you're getting spiritually mature, but one day you're going to notice. But other people notice it before you do. It's true about your tan. It's true about your muscles. It's true about everything. So... I want you to see this as not church. I don't want to see you to see this as church, but this is a function of the big church. That means that your parents are not out to destroy your lives, but they are full functioning members of your society and your family body of Christ, which means you got to get along with them too. So, all that. Let's move on to the next point because we're running out of time. And I probably bored you enough at this point. Secondly, reach the farthest that you can. You got two more core values and then we'll be done with our time. Want you to kill the comfort zone. Now, remember the first, um, first objective to grow the deepest that you can is all about your relationship with God. So you have 
grow in grace and knowing Jesus, go further than 40, and community begins with see. That's all about your relationship with Jesus, growing in grace and knowing Jesus. It's all about growing the deepest that you can in the Lord. Now, this is about your outreach, your effect in this world, your impact in the world. That you would kill the comfort zone and that you would fill empty seats with empty people. So, first of all, killing the comfort zone. If you remember, this is a concept we talked about back when I taught John chapter 11. And we talked about Lazarus. He still had the grave clothes on. And a lot of people still have their grave clothes on. They still curse. They still do whatever. They, they have things that make them feel comfortable. But it's grave clothes. You got to cast that stuff off. And you need to live in the new life. And many people feel like they're not able to step out of their comfort zone because they're afraid of what's going to happen. And so they never evangelize. They never serve at their church. They never do anything of eternal value because they're afraid of failure, fail, uh, messing up or whatever. But realize that if you don't kill your comfort zone, your comfort zone will become your coffin. The place that you feel the safest will become the place that you die. A coffin is very safe, but it's buried underneath ground and you can't function. You're just going to die. Coffins are meant for dead people. Kill the comfort zone, otherwise it'll become your coffin. Acts chapter 9, verse 31. This is how you kill the comfort zone. Acts 9, 31 says, Walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. So this is how you do it. You fear the Lord above anything else, anyone else, and you walk in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. When you have those two things, like if you memorize that verse, your life will be different. Because you won't care what people think of you or what people say about you. Because you fear God. You don't care what man does to you or says about you or, what, or thinks about you. You fear God above everybody else. So you can be bold in class. Because even if people think that you're a Jesus freak, you don't care. Because you fear God. And when your classmates think that you're a Jesus freak because you don't curse anymore, you expose the darkness. And you call them, I'm, never mind, I'm going to stop there. When you expose the darkness, I'm just going to tell you. There was times that I worked at a gas station. I probably said this before. probably shouldn't say this. I worked at a gas station and people would come up to me like, and talk to me and try to, try to start conversation. Every now and then you'd have these old perverts that come up to you and like, ask you to like, check out this girl that's like, in, in another car. And I would literally say, look at you, you old pervert. And I would say that to him. And you know what they would do? They'd be like, oh, my, dude. Like, why? What, what are you, what are you, like, they felt exposed because I'm exposing the darkness. I'm calling them what they are. And I shout it out. Like, there you are, you old man. You're checking out some random woman in a gas station. Who do you think you are? <laughs> Sometimes you just got to shine your light on the darkness. That's what the Bible says. Have no uh, association with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. So, sometimes you got to do that. And not care what people think about you because you're exposing the darkness you fear God. And then walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. So changing the comfort zone to a sphere of influence. And now the way that you see your life is not about what makes me comfortable because you have the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And you're listening to his still small voice everywhere that you go. And you think about how can I make myself uncomfortable? How can I do something that I normally wouldn't do because I have a sphere of influence and there are people around me that need Jesus. And you're going around and when you're getting gas at the gas station, you're thinking, what would make me really uncomfortable is 
talking to this person about Jesus and giving them a track. So I'm going to do it because I'm walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, not in my own comfort. Doing things that challenge yourself. I'm not asking you to go out there and just do something radical and go out into the middle of whatever mall and start shouting like, you know, Bible verses. Please don't do that. You're going to embarrass me. But do little things that get you out of your comfort zone. It's the most fun thing in the world because when you do those things, it makes God happy and it makes you happy and then you know that you're doing God's will. So kill the comfort zone. Blah, blah, blah. And then lastly, our last core value is to fill empty seats with empty people. I want us to really catch, and I believe God wants us to, catch the heart of evangelism. To be preaching the gospel and to make sure that we're not just bringing people to church, you know, it, I mean, that's the point, but bringing people to church to hear the gospel, but we're also going out there and sharing the gospel with other people. And then church is the follow-up. After we share the gospel, we bring people to church so that they can be filled with Jesus. So, you fill empty seats with empty people so that Jesus can fill them with himself. I stole that point from someone, but I have no idea who I stole that from, so I can't give them credit. So whoever you are, I'm sorry I stole that from you. But it's a great point. Think about that. There are empty seats in this room right now, and we could put out plenty more seats. They're, they're stacked right there. That could be a person who's feeling lost, feeling empty, that needs Jesus, and you could be that person that leads that person to Jesus. You could be Ananias that heals Saul of Tarsus of his blindness. And then you could say, you know what? I was that guy that God used to heal one of the greatest evangelists and apostles that has ever lived in the entire world. Who knows if that person that you think would never come to know the Lord, you share with them once, they receive it, and they go on to be the greatest evangelist that ever lived. You don't know. You don't know how God can use you. So just take the step to kill the comfort zone, stop thinking about what people think about you, fear the Lord, and walk in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and then fill empty seats with empty people. Every single Saturday, Lord willing, I'm going to start evangelizing every single week. So, if you want to go evangelizing, you come with me, we'll go evangelizing. If I have 10 people, great. If I have one person, great. I'm going because I need to be in a good habit of going evangelizing every single week. I went out in California, I did this video for Andy to go evangelizing, and he's doing this thing called the Town Challenge. I'll be talking about that in a couple weeks. Um, but you know what? After not, I had, the last time I did that was like a couple weeks prior, maybe even a month prior. And I forget how awesome it is to see a person just completely open up to the gospel. Like when I shared with this one person, we're supposed to hand out like 10 bucks to the dude to like pay them for a, a spiritual interest survey or something. And after I was talking about Jesus and I finished talking to him, he told me to keep the money. And I was like, well, it's not my money, so you might as well take it. But the guy was so blessed by the conversation, he didn't even want the money that I was supposed to give him in the end. You don't know how you can make a person's day when you just simply listen. There was another, uh, there's a, a young girl, probably like age 15, and her younger brother. It happened to be her birthday when I was evangelizing to her, and she happened to be a Christian. I prayed with her, and she told me, you have made my day. You can make someone's day if you're just available to the Holy Spirit. Just do it. It's fun. Also, I want you, so that also brings up the point. I want you to know that every single time that you bring a friend here, I will preach the gospel. And so you can count on that. Not have to worry about that. You do your part, I'll do my part. Lastly, how you can be plugged in. I know I'm going over time by like two minutes. Bear with me. 
how you can be plugged in. Well, the word plug stands for, according to me, pray, love, urge, and grow. Plug. Pray, love, urge, and grow. So, these are the actions that you can take to fulfill the core values, which in turn fulfill the objectives, which in turn fulfill the mission statement, which is? Oh, boy. <clears throat> Let Jesus impact you and impact the world through you. All right, repeat after me. Let Jesus impact you. And impact the world through you. All right, one more time. Let Jesus impact you. And. Oh, Lord. <clears throat> All right. It seems like we're going to have to pray. Listen. Closing out. Um. Pray, love, urge, and grow. You don't know what to do at any point in time. If all that I've said to you does not make sense, that's fine because we're going to repeat it ad nauseum, which means until you puke because you're so sick of hearing it, it's going to be all over the place. We're going to make banners. We're going to design stuff so that you know what the core values are, what you're supposed to leave here with, that you're supposed to grow in grace and knowing Jesus, that you're supposed to go further than 40, community begins with C, kill the comfort zone, and fill empty seats with empty people so that Jesus can fill them with himself. I want you guys to get that. So that you, you leave here knowing why you came here in the first place. I feel like so many people come here and they're just like, they're down. They've had a rough week. But you can know that even if you don't feel like you got a lot out of the service, you know that you are faithful to come and God honors commitment. He really does. The Bible says, draw near to God and he will... All right, you got one thing now. That's great. Listen, you're going to get as much out of this as you put in. So many times, as we've said on the retreat, corporate worship is dead because individuals are dead. And if individuals are dead, then why do we even come here in the first place? We want to see people raised to life in Christ Jesus. We want to see people just simply saying, Lord, impact me. Lord, do something in my life that so radically shakes me that I have an undeniable experience that I know I met with God so that I in turn can go and let you impact the world through my life. That's it. So praying, you're loving people around you, whether you're your friend, your enemy, you're urging people by exhorting them, encouraging them, and that you're growing in God. Just every day you can pick up your Bible. If you, know no, if you have no idea what to do with your time, you can pray, love, urge, and grow. By the way... This vision is not just something I made up. It's from God. In fact, the God himself said in his word, if you can read that. You can sum up. I'm not going to read that whole quote there. But it's Matthew chapter 22. God himself said, here is the sum of the entire Bible. Love God, love others. The end. That's it. Let Jesus impact you and impact the world through you. Love God, love others. And that's all I'm asking of us as impact students going into 2015. Now that you've saw what it looks like, our vision for 2015 and beyond. I really feel like this could be one of the most influential years of your life. 
if you let Jesus impact you. If you simply say, Lord, I want to see you do great and mighty things which I do not know. If you don't pray that, it ain't going to happen. But if you're willing to come to God, he'll by no means cast you out. If you're faithful to show up, even if you feel like, I don't know if that, was, that really spoke to me, it's not really about your experience. It's about you growing in grace and knowing Jesus, right? It's about you knowing more about God, even if you don't feel necessarily like you're getting anything out of the message. Most of the stuff I know about apologetics happened to me, or I learned in youth group. And just because my youth pastor repeated the same things over and over and over. The only reason why I know the gospel is because I went out evangelizing so many times. In the same way, like, you will get as much out of this as you're willing to experience. So, in the upcoming weeks, what we're going to be doing is we're going to talk about the gospel. The presentation of the gospel. So that you can leave here, even if you don't feel like the most effective evangelist in the world, you know when you're, like, with your friend or your family. Let's say that, like, tomorrow. Your closest friend who's not a Christian is like, so what do you believe? You want to know what I say, right? There's nothing worse than someone saying that to you, and you're like, oh, I, I believe Jesus, and the blood of the Lamb covers my sins, and no longer have to offer sacrifices on the altar. You know? <laughs> you see that spit? <laughs> good. That's a good place to close.